Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for family. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together, Lord, and we can sing praises to your name, Lord, that we can come underneath your word, that we could be taught by you, that we could be taught by the living God. We thank you, Lord, for silence. We thank you, Lord, for almost silence. We thank you, Lord, that when you speak, Lord, you often speak in that still, quiet voice. And Lord, even if it's that what we need to be aware of today, Lord, help us, Lord, to have ears which will listen, hearts which will be open, Lord, to receive from you as we consider some of the truths in your word, Lord Jesus, as we come to a place, Lord, where our desire should be to know you more. And so, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, have full reign here this afternoon, Lord. Um, If there's hearts that need comforting, Lord, then bring comfort. If there's hearts which are hard, I need um, breaking, Lord. Your word says that your word is like a hammer. So, Lord, by your spirit, bring that hammer to those hearts, Lord, and break them and make them tender before your throne, Lord. And, Lord, the hearts which are rejoicing, Lord, because we have children, Lord, being dedicated into your family, Lord. It's just a time of joy and rejoicing. So have your way today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to have your attention, and um, it's nice to see friends and family here, and the family of um, Tim, or Tiz, and Ella, Tiz as we, well, I generally call him Tiz, Um, yeah, just coming out to support the family, Lord, well, just to support the family and to, you know, show their appreciation and their love towards them, so it's good, it's a good afternoon. So now we're going to listen to what God has to say to us through his word. And if you are new here, uh, we are doing a series at the moment which is called Present. And basically, it's, um, it's looking at the different aspects of how that word could be used, but what it means to us today, and, and, and with God being present. And today's installment in this series is God is now present. And we will be taking our considerations and our thoughts from uh, the first chapter of the book of Romans, verses 5 and 6. But in order to keep things pretty much in their context, we will be reading from verse 1 to 7. So if you have your Bibles, it would be nice if you opened up to the book of Romans. But I'm not just going to jump in this just yet, because I've got a bit of an introduction, really. Um, and I hope it's not too long-winded. But... If you were here in week one, you would have heard Pastor Ephraim Ephraim mention that this word present, you know, is an interesting word because it has this triple meaning, a triple meaning which covers time, location, and gift. And as Pastor Ephraim a couple of weeks ago uh, spoke to us about, you know, with its reference to time, we considered how time is a created thing. And even before there was time, we know that, and, and in, a, in a period which we could only consider, time passed, because we weren't there, but we'd consider it to be time passed, 
and we think of God living outside of time. He lives in eternity, and we think of eternity as being eternity past, but eternity doesn't have a past because eternity is. And so in time past, you know, Pastor Ephraim looked at how God was present. God existed beforehand, and God spoke beforehand. And this was eloquently highlighted by Pastor E as he shared from Psalm 90, verse 2, which says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a powerful verse. That, that's a powerful verse which just describes that God is you know, Pastor Ephraim also mentioned that, you know, God referred to himself in, in the Old Testament as I am. Continuous present tense. Not I was or I will be, I am. Tell them that I am sent you, Moses. Now, when I first read that, when I first became a believer, I just thought, what a thing to say. It sounds so weird, I am. But as you dig a bit deeper and you see, wow, that's just deep because it's just it's just teaching us about the nature of God. I am. So it's beautiful. So God was present and has always been present because one of these fancy words which we start studying in the Bible, he is omnipresent. Meaning he is always present everywhere. But obviously we know because we're not silly, we know that God is not everywhere manifest. And so, through the scriptures, we see how through the scriptures and by the prophets, God spoke of a time when he would be present among his people. And so, as the scripture says, in the fullness of time. And again, that's another phrase when you're reading your Bibles. You kind of like take a bit of a moment to pause because everything has a fullness. At the appointed time... God chose to present himself in bodily form in a particular location, and he was present. Now, that kind of like flicks my switch. That does something for me, because I like things like that. It sort of like solidifies what the things I believe in. You know, it brings weight to the things I believe in. It just doesn't some fairy story or some little good little thing I decided to believe in. And John 1.14 says, And the word became and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We come through the Gospels now. We go into the letters. Galatians. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of a woman, born under the law, why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, so we can now cry out. No, I didn't hear that. Dear, dear father. That's what that means. And what we have to realize is that before Jesus came on the scene, 
People didn't refer to God as Father. He was God. He was out there. Ooh, God. They wouldn't even say his name. And when it was right in the name, they'd wash their hands ceremonially because, woo, you can't really say that name there. You can't really write that name there. But now we have this relationship with God where we know him as Father. I like you down there. That's, that's, we need to keep working together. Father. <laughs> you see? God became present in location. And in becoming present, he encountered all the trials and the temptations that we all face as individuals. But Jesus still lived a perfect, sinless life. A life which satisfied the requirements of the law and a life which made atonement for sin. This word which we as Christians, we don't mind using, but the world hates it. It's like, why are you calling me a sinner? Well, sin means missing the mark. It means you're kind of like you're aiming for something, but it keeps going off. And as far as our relationship with God is concerned and being right with God is concerned, we're off. So it's called sin. You see... Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And because he was the perfect sacrifice, he was able to fulfill the promise, his promise to his disciples. And he said, you know, he said things like, you know, it's better that I go away. And they're saying, don't go anywhere. We love you, Jesus. Don't leave us. He's saying, no, it's, it's kind of like better that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm not able to send to you the comforter. Because if the comforter, comforter comes, he's now able to live and reign in your hearts. To live and to reign in the hearts of all those who trust in Jesus. And so if you're tracking with me, and I hope I'm not confusing you all, the picture we now have is, is of, instead of God being out there, reigning in, in eternity, sort of like saying, well, I'm the I am, the great I am. He's not out there. He says, okay, I'm going to become present. So he becomes present in the bodily form of Jesus Christ who walked the earth. Amen? Still tracking with me? And then because of the cross and the resurrection, God, by his spirit, is now able to indwell all his children. Instead of Jesus just being in one place at one time, by his spirit, he's now able to be in multiple places at multiple times throughout all history, throughout all generations. And that's beautiful. When you start looking at things like that and the plan of redemption, you're saying, Lord, wow, you're deep. And this isn't something which, you know, we just kind of like made up after the resurrection and everything. Jesus actually prayed this in John 14, 16. He says, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. The spirit of truth. Oh, he's not going to be telling us no lies then. No, because he's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But don't go, Jesus. Don't go. No, 
but you will see me because I live. Because I live, sorry, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Did you keep up with that? And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. How did we get that exchange? Where did we come into it there? But he places, it in, places us in there. And he who has my commandments and keeps them. Oh, there's a clause here. You're not just not to know the commandments. You're meant to keep them. Cool, I'm with it now. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, again, just focusing on the word. Jesus is going to manifest himself to those who love him and keep his commandments. Is that what your Bible says? I'm reading from the King James Version, by the way, New King James. Does your New King James say that? Does your ESV say that? That's a promise there, which as believers we need to hold on to. Okay, Jesus said it in the Gospels. Then, okay, have we got anything to back that up? Well, Acts chapter, chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, when did we hear it from him? In John 14. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they still haven't actually received the promise just yet. But there's confirmation it's coming. And in verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so, you who know your scriptures, Acts chapter 2, we know exactly what happened. And like a mighty rushing wind... Again, does that do anything for you when you read that? Like a mighty rushing wind. I love it. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sa- fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, there's power there. You may be here today, you may have been a believer for a long time, and you don't really see this power. You may have experienced this power, but there's power there. Now, I would dare to say that if you're not receiving the power, it's not God's fault. Must be something in your life. Must be a blockage somewhere along the line. But even if we're not experiencing that power, even if there's nothing wrong with, with, with our lives, the scripture says, let God be true and let every man be a liar. And so hold on to it anyway. I'm not experiencing, experiencing it, but I know it's true. And it's because of these things, it's because of these verses, which I've just plucked out, we can have this confidence that God is now present. Present by his Holy Spirit. 
living and working in the hearts of those who have surrendered their hearts and lives to Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's fact. Now, again, you may not be experiencing that. You may not be feeling like you're experiencing it, but it is fact. And we have to hold on to that confidence. But even so, we know that God is now present, and one day in the future, God will openly be present. You see, because time, as I said, this created thing, we're counting down. We're counting down. We're counting down to a place, you know, where we, we believe as Christians that Jesus will one day return in bodily form. And at the book, end of the book of Revelation, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So we're moving towards something. And whether it's past, present, or future, we know that God was, God is, and God will always be present. Now, I don't know how many times I've used this word present now, but the series is called present, so I'm trying to hit this word in so many different ways as I possibly can. You keeping up? That wasn't a good response. I'm going I'm to move on because you're scaring me now. God was, God is, and God always would always be present. And you know what? It's because of God's goodness that he desires to make his presence known to us. And so, after this long-winded introduction, we are now in Romans chapter 1. And so we would read from verse 1 to 7. And as I'm reading, please just... just Pay attention to who the real focus is on. You know, Paul's writing a letter to those believers in Rome, but, you know, and he's introducing himself and everything, and he's laying out his credentials, but listen to who the real focus is on. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, the whole focus in this opening is on Jesus. Jesus is either mentioned, mentioned or alluded to in all seven verses here. And it's beautiful. And our focus today, you know, is in verse 5, as I said. We're going to be really focusing on verses 5 and 6. We'll be on how through him, through Jesus, we have now received God's spirit who is always present with us. You see, through Jesus, we have received the Spirit of God. And through Jesus, we have received this thing we call grace. Present grace, which I'm going to try and kind of like highlight today. Present grace. A grace which, which seeks to be active in the life of the believer. Why? So that we can be all that God des desires for us to be. So... Let me just take a sip of water. Excuse me. So let us track through verse 5, beginning with this phrase, through him. And this phrase, through him, you know, we encourage people when they're reading their Bibles, you know, don't read your Bibles just quickly. Take your time. When you come to a phrase like this, through him, you need to just pause for a minute. You need to have one of those seller moments. Selah. Pause and think about this for a moment. You see, this phrase is used 13 times in the New Testament. And it's one of those phrases which, as you're reading your Bible, you, can always, you always just read right over, oh, through him, da 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 You don't really take time and pause on it for a moment. What does that mean, through him? Well, let's just look at some of the verses in the New Testament that talk about through him. John 1, 3 says, All things were made... Through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So this through him business is kind of like important. You know, this is also echoed in Colossians 1.16, which says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. That pretty much covers everything. All things were created through him and for him. Wow, that's deep. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world like the world thinks, Jesus is like a swear word. Jesus just not, wants us not to have fun. Jesus is just here just to spoil the party. No. God did not send his son into, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Interesting. You see, in the book of Acts, we also have this situation where Peter, you know, he's going to the temple and he sees this guy who's crippled and everything. And it's the whole thing about silver and gold I don't have, remember? And it says, and his name, the name of Jesus, through faith in his name has made this man strong. Whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. See, you see... You can use that power which it comes through Jesus when we pray, when we're praying for someone. It's not your power. You don't have power. But in Christ Jesus, you have power because it comes through him. 
Okay, let's move on. A couple more. Romans 8.37. Yet in all these things we are more than through him who loved us. So if you're living a conquering life, you know how you're living that conquering life? It's because it comes. you got to help me, family. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. If it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't have access to the throne room of God. Through him. And the last one. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, I just want to encourage you, when you come to little phrases in the Bible, little words, don't just skim over them. Don't just read it like you kind of like want to get it over and done with. Stick on it. Actually think about it for a minute. What does that mean to you? What does it mean for you in 2012? What does it do for your daily life, your daily walk? You should know that you have nothing, nothing. You are nothing without Jesus in your life. You know, whatever we have by way of benefit of life, by way of power or strength or access to the throne of God, we have it because we have it through Jesus. You know, you may be there, you may be very wealthy, very educated. You may have degrees bursting out everywhere. I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with degrees. But if you have a life and you haven't got Jesus, well, mm -mm -mm. as far as God's concerned, it's void. It, It accounts for nothing. As Pastor Robert mentioned, you know, in Psalm 27, 127, thank you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. You see, it's through Christ. Only Christ Christ could pay the price which would satisfy the requirements which God had laid down so that we could be right with him. And without him, we are void, we are redundant of any resources that could make us right with the Father. And so we have to always remember that the benefits of real life, I say real life because obviously people living who don't have Jesus in their life, they have life, don't they? But it's not that quality of life, that God life. It only flows through Jesus. And... As it flows through Jesus, I kind of like look at it in stages. It, it flows through Jesus, but then it is something which, as individuals, we have to receive, which is the next phrase in our, in our text today. We have received. Because of God's goodness, you know, because of the goodness of the Father, he allows us to be in a position to receive the free gift of his Son, and the free gift of his spirit to dwell within us. We can't earn it. Can't pay for it. You can only receive it. And so moving on, the next word we have in our text is grace. Grace. We freely receive grace. 
And as we freely receive Jesus into our hearts, you know, we do it by faith, and it's through faith, but it's also by grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. You know, that's how I always remember it. It is getting something we don't deserve. None of us deserve grace. You know, we're all guilty before God. It's the, the scripture says, I think in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity. Meaning, from the day we're born, basically, we're, we're enemies of God. We need a savior. We need something to happen in our world so that we could be in right standing with God. And God gives us to us by his grace. He doesn't have to do it. He didn't have to do anything. He will still be God. He will still be, I am. But he allows us to receive this by grace. You know, as I said, grace is getting something we don't deserve, whereas mercy, on the other hand, is not getting something we do deserve. You see how grace and mercy work together here? We receive it by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Hear what? It, was, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in eternity past that we should walk in them. You see, grace, and it's this active grace which God desires that, you know, we walk in. We walk in this active grace because grace desires to be active. You may not think that, but it desires to be active. And it says, you know, that grace that we should walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand. So keep that thought that grace wants to be active. The next words we have here is and apostleship. Now, I started off by saying Paul is opening up this letter. He's writing to the believers in Rome. And so now, and he's laying out his own credentials. But as he's laying out his own credentials, he's not really talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. But then he still needs to talk about himself because, you know, if you just received a letter from any old person, you know, saying that they're giving you all these wonderful things, you're going to say, well, who are you? You know, who made you something around here? Why should I listen to you? So Paul's saying, look, I've been given this apostleship by God. I've been chosen to be this special messenger to you guys, you Gentile believers, you guys in Rome. And as Paul is laying down his credentials here, you know, as an apostle, you know, you, when you read this, it's no less true as us, of us as believers today as well. And I say this because you are God's special messenger in your own world. You are God's special messenger in your own families. I'm not in your family. I have no influence in your families. You have no influence in mine. But Christ in me, the Spirit of God working in me now, can work within my family. I'm a special messenger to them. You may be the only believer in your, in your work environment. You're a special messenger to those people in your work environment or at college, in school, in your leisure pursuits. You may be the only source of light 
to those living in darkness. And so you are a special messenger. And so, you know, it says apostleship. And this grace which flows through Jesus and is given to us and we receive requires something in return, which comes on to the next words we're looking at, which is obedience. For obedience. Now, for some people in, 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 this, in this room, when I mentioned the word obedience, you kind of like went, oh, because maybe you're someone who doesn't like to be obedient. You don't like to obey. If somebody told you to do this, you're like, what, you're telling me to? I'm going to do that. You like working on opposites. Anybody, can I get a witness? Just me? Just me. Ah, I'll talk to myself. Yeah, you just like doing things to yourself, don't you, Patrick? Don't you? Well, I'll just speak to myself because it's just me. You know, generally, we don't like to conform. Ben mentioned last week about, you know, we all know the speed limit, but we all go cruising along. As soon as we see the speed camera, we start breaking a little bit, start getting back under the law, because we like to push things to the, to the edge. We like being close to the fire. You may not believe it, it's true though, because we all do it. I'm sure there's many in here who still, you know, speak on their phones as they're driving as well, without a hands-free, or start doing a few texts there, you're living close to the edge, because that is not the law of the land. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to get a witness there. <laughs> but the Bible says, you know, in 1 Samuel, it says to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And whether you're going to admit to it or not, you can admit to it before the Lord. You know, we have a problem in being obedient. The children of Israel had a problem with being obedient. And you see, in this present aspect of the life of God in, in, in the world, in the church, God being present now, you know, it's interesting because if you kind of like look at, th if you can look at things like this, you see, the Bible says that the Father is seeking worshippers. You know, it says God is seeking those who would worship him and worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what the Bible says about God the Father. But Jesus, yes, he's seeking worshippers, but Jesus is looking for another quality here. Jesus is seeking those who would demonstrate their love and their worship through the, for the Father by expressing a life of obedience. How do we express this life of obedience? We express it by allowing the Holy Spirit of God, who we say lives, lives within us, to live through us. So that the life and nature of Christ is being demonstrated, it's being evidenced through our lives. So, your neighbours, your work colleagues, the people you go and play football with or you go cycling with, I like cycling, you know, they should be able to see some form of difference about you. Something. 
whether you are overtly just saying Jesus, 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 Jesus in every sentence, or whether you never mention the word of Jesus at all as you're relating to them, they should see something slightly different about you. How come you don't cuss and swear like the rest of us? How come you don't get lean when we go out to the pub? How come your conversation's a bit different? You're always trying to bring it in something a bit more, something a bit more substance. How come you as a young lady, you know, you're not just wearing clothes which are showing, showing everything? How comes you as a guy, when we're all looking at that young Doris over there, you're not looking at that Doris over there? <laughs> there should be something different. That much or that much, whatever that much means. There should be something different. And it's outworked, it's, it's, it's evidence through obedience. Obedience, this word we don't like. Obedience for obedience to the faith. You see, this present aspect of the present life of God in the believer seeks to be active and it demands action. It expects to see fruit. Again, Jesus says we shall be known by our fruit. Don't talk a good game, live the game too. The fruit of obedience that we allow the Holy Spirit to live his life through us. You see, the Bible says again that it's this internal work of God in our lives. You see, it says that God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's that internal work of God which the Holy Spirit wants to do to conform us into Christ's image and his likeness. And as, we, as God works it in, you know, the, the, the verse goes on to say, or I think it says it before, it says, now we need to work it out. You know, when you work out something, all of us, have, majority of us may have jobs. When we go to work, some people's job demands effort, time, it's not just something like, oh, God's worked it in, so I'm just going to work it out. Well, you have to kind of like work at it. You may be naturally very, very stubborn. Well, God's going to have to break that. You may be very, very timid. God may have to give you more strength. You see, it's God working in and us working it out. But as well as God doing that internal, personal thing within our hearts, within our minds and everything, within our being, it just doesn't stop there. Because it's not just a, it is about you, but it's not just about you. It is about me, but it's not just about me. Because it has to be outworked. It has to be expressed, as I've already said to others. And that's where it goes on to say now, among all nations. You see, this whole thing is not just for us, but it's to be now expressed among nations among other people. Why? For his name. You see, God has placed his spirit in you because he doesn't want to bring reproach to his name. He sees something in all of us that he wants to build and develop so it will bring glory, not to you, but to his name. It's for his name. You see, God doesn't change. We change, but he doesn't change. And his, his desire is still that he wants people everywhere 
among all nations to at least hear the message of the gospel. You see, God is still in the, in the business of his desire is that none should perish. He's still in that business. And then with verse 6, you see the Apostle Paul highlights that this is exactly God's expectation. And this is the responsibility of all believers throughout the ages. And then he, go, he says, among whom you also. So we can read this at first and say, well, that's Paul. You know, Paul was heavy. Paul wrote all these letters and, you know, he was just committed to the gospel and everything. That's Paul. Really? This word you here means exactly that. You. Among whom you also, you are the called of Jesus Christ. You see, you're called by God. Somewhere along the line, you were open to the message of the gospel. Someone shared the gospel with you. You thought, you know what? That's the best news I've ever heard. I need to respond to it. I need to respond by giving my life to Jesus. That didn't start off in your own mind. God called you. You responded to the call. And so if you're here today and you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are the called of God. But you're called of God to be obedient and to be obedient to the faith. You're called to be a witness. And you're called because God is now in this present time, working by his spirit through his church to accomplish his purposes. So, a fair question in my mind to ask you, but to ask myself also, is how are you or how am I evidencing this life of God through my own life, through your own life? You know, you just think about how you go about your day-to-day -day business, how do you evidence the life of God dwelling near you to others? You're not meant to answer. But it's something to, to think about, to meditate on. Is there room within your life where you can say, you know what, less of me and more of you, Jesus? You know what? Your word says that I must decrease and you must increase. How, how are you doing that? How's that working? I mean, I cannot answer that for you and you cannot answer that for me. But you know within your own life how you can make adjustments. But the adjustments isn't to be done in your own strength. Because that would just be you doing you. It needs to be an acknowledgement, Lord, without you I'm nothing. I'm helpless. I need you. And so, again, the question is, how are you allowing the Holy Spirit to change you and to mold you? Are you being a light and a witness to those around you? Are you expressing the love of God to those people around you? Are you just be, are, or are you just a nightmare to be around?
Because don't get it twisted. We as Christians, we could be nightmares, you know. <laughs> we could be nightmares, you know. We, we, we could kind of like, Lord, I don't know why you called me because I just moan all the time. Boy. Again, that's just me, yeah? <laughs> just testing. You see, the Lord wants us to, for him, to, he wants to work through us. And the worst person generally is us. You know, we like to have these compartments. Jesus, you can have all these rooms in my life and in my heart and in my mind, but that one over there, don't touch it, Lord. That's me. Don't go near it. But Jesus wants the whole of you. He just doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. And so, meditate on these things. And as we start landing the plane here now, verse 7. With verse 7, we kind of like get a glimpse of, of how this work of the Spirit was being you know, outworked in the life of the early church. You see, obviously, as I said before, the gospel is a personal thing. It's your personal relationship with Jesus, you know. Excuse me. But it also needs to be expressed towards others. And at this point, um, don't totally quote me here because I haven't actually done the history, but, you know, the gospel had moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. I believe it was in Asia Minor and even parts of Africa. We think about the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, who you know, had the scriptures opened up to him. We believe that, obviously, he took that back to Ethiopia, Africa. So, you see, the gospel wasn't just in a little old Jerusalem, Israel. It starts moving out now, okay? And here, we see it's being communicated in Europe to the believers in Rome. And Rome at the time, as we know, if anybody does a little bit of history, was the most influential and powerful place in the world at this time. And so, as we get this glimpse of the gospel not just being this personal thing, but being expressed and outworked and moving and just going through territories and everything, it wasn't just restricted to one location. You see, does that mean it was just for that time? Is God still in the business of wanting his, the message of the gospel to be preached and to be shared throughout all the earth? Obviously, it is. God still desires to move. And if you can believe it, even in little old London, even in South London, even in Broccoli, even on Wickham Road, God still desires to move, to make his presence known. You see, God has been working and he is presently working. And he's working presently because, why? Because he loves us. It's an expression of his love. And so with verse 7, as we close, you know, just take comfort, you know, not as God being some taskmaster who just wants you to be obedient and doesn't want you to have any fun, but just look at how God actually looks at his children, looks at mankind. As Paul says, to all who are in Rome... Beloved of God. Now that's nice, isn't it? Could have said anything there, but he says that you are the beloved of God. Called 
You're called. Think of it as being called by a special invitation. Called to the marriage supper of the Lamb by God himself. Called to be saints. Now, if, again, if you're in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You know, you'd have to wait 100 years to be canonized or something like that by the Catholic Church. You are a saint. That's what the Bible says. You're a saint. You are God's own special people or person. And then Paul mentions grace again. You know, and grace is just this powerful thing. And he mentions grace because he, know, he knew and he knows and God knows how we need grace in our lives. You know, grace to forgive, grace to be forgiven, grace to endure. You know, when we feel helpless and we don't want to continue, we need God's grace. And can I just throw in there, you know, most of us, we look at grace as being this linear thing. Is it linear? Is that the right way? Is it? It's linear, yeah. So we kind of like look at grace. We kind of like follow my line. So we're kind of like going on with the Lord, and it's like everything's good, everything's jiggy, and we're having a good time, and God's grace is good, isn't it? And then we reach a point where we either sin in thought, word, or deed, whatever it is. Now we're like, oh, God, I'm the worst thing. Lord, um, I can't even face your people. I don't even want to go to church. Lord, oh, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. Lord, um, you can never help me. There's nothing I can do to just be restored. We start thinking like that. To one degree or another, we start thinking like that. Not realizing, and this just blew me away the other day, not realizing that, is grace linear? Did Jesus die for you before the foundation of the earth? Do you think Jesus didn't know you was going to sin at that point? Do you think he's not going to continue to love you after that point? He died for you. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to say you must take grace now, as my mum always says, take grace for Papa Shaw. <laughs> no, we can't take grace for granted. But it's the wrong concept of how grace works. So don't beat yourself up. Recognize you're a sinner and you need to repent. 1 John 1 9. Bam. Thank the Lord for 1 John 1 9. Otherwise, woo! But it's not linear. It doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? We need to recognize it for what it is. Yeah, we flop. And some of us flop hard in thought, word, or deed. All of them. We flop. But grace is still grace. God's unmerited favor covers all of that it covers all of that so I don't know about my hand gestures and <laughs> you like that <laughs> well so where are we grace the grace of God he's unmerited favor you don't deserve it but you get it anyway grace to you and peace. Now, there's lots of things we can say about peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding should guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lovely, it's beautiful. But, you know, that is good. 
But the peace we're talking about here is directional. It is coming to us from the Godhead. Because it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you get a double whammy. It's like it's a, a bog off. You buy one to get one free. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have this present active grace working now because God is now present. And we have present peace from God because God is a very present God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are heavy. You are deep. We thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be in a position where you are forever present with us. Your word says that you would never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. And it's comforting to know those things, Lord, as we are in relationship with you. As we walk with you, Lord, knowing that the journey of life is not five minutes. It's, it's con compared to a marathon, Lord. And so, Lord Jesus, um, help us today to find ways, Lord, of allowing you to be more present within our lives, for your grace to be more active through our lives, Lord, so that we can be a reflection of you, that we can bring light into darkness, Lord, your light, not our own light, Lord, but your light. Lord, we, um, we, th we love you, Lord, and we thank you. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, you just solidify you know, today's message in the hearts and mind of your people, Lord, that you would even just bring light into pe people's minds which don't know anything about you. They've probably never heard a message like this before. They've probably never heard the gospel being presented in this way before, Lord. Help them to be open, Lord. Let that seed just take life, Lord. Bring people to, to water it, Lord, so you can germinate, Lord, and produce life. Lord, we thank you again. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, will you stand as we sing a song and we close our service today?
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.